666. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife, but it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare Alley, the side street podcast of Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we are chatting with Ryan Spindell, the creator, writer, director behind the Mortuary Collection. Mortuary Collection is a Halloween-tastic horror anthology that's playing on Shudder right now, the day this podcast comes out. Holy moly, we did this on purpose. <laughs> we saw this last year at Fantastic Fest just before Halloween, and we kind of haven't stopped talking about it. So Really if, haven't. If you follow us on social media, you may have already heard about it. You can finally watch the Mortuary Collection! Yay! Oh. We talk about it in the episode. We've talked about it before. We've probably talked about it in the intros for our episodes. I guarantee we talked about it in our top films of 2019. And maybe now 2020, because the world did stop, so... Yeah, I think this is the one year we could probably reset and not do festival films in our top tens. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. I don't know what we're going to do yet. They're pretty much the same movies that we saw last year. <laughs> but either way, this uh, the Mortuary Collection, I personally think, is a would pair so perfectly well with Trick or Treat. So if you already have Trick or Treat on your Halloween watch list, you, you gotta check out the Mortuary Collection. And just like Trick or Treat in that amazing way, it is a horror anthology with a bunch of smaller segments surrounded by a really fun backstory. We are at this mysterious mortuary where a girl has come to answer a job wanted sign and she is applying for the job. And in the process, the mortician is telling her some spooky stories. Mortician played by Clancy Brown, too, who you probably recognize from Pet Cemetery 2. Uh, he, he he does the voice of Mr. Krabs in, in SpongeBob SquarePants. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's okay. So I will show you an episode, an, a Halloween episode of SpongeBob, and then we'll watch the Mortuary Collection again. <gasps> that sounds wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, and so in the interview process, she asked to hear some weird stories of crazy ways that people have died. And that's that's exactly what you're in for with the Mortuary Collection. Clancy Brown, the mortician, sits her down to tell her, like, four bizarre tales of inexplainable death. And you're going to get such a wonderful hodgepodge of horror. There is gross-out scares. There's some really great creature designs. There's some fantasy elements. It is... Such a ride, and we, we couldn't even spoil it even if we wanted to. There is so much fun content in this movie, so it literally has something for everyone. Yeah, and we were lucky enough to sit down a few weeks ago with writer-director Ryan Spindell to talk about all of the, you know, blood, sweat, and tears that went into making this passion project. It took an incredible amount of time. Nobody wanted to help him make it. It seems like a horror anthology is a hard sell when you're looking for money or you're just looking for line producers. Uh, but he's got some incredible stories about how the practical effects came to life. Uh, you know, how they created such rich atmosphere in their in their set design. And of course, we ask him what his dream double feature would be at the drive-in. It's one of my favorite questions to ask everybody because it, it really... Tells you more about the, who they are as a horror fan than anything else you could ask. But without further ado, here is our interview with Ryan Spindell. And check out the Mortuary Collection on Shutter right now. 
This poor soul's journey has come to an end. From dust we started, to dust we return. Every corpse tells a story. It is our task to listen. So these are all stories about how people died. Some tales even I find too unsettling to recount. She's dead! You gotta get that body out of your apartment. Keep your doors locked tonight and keep an eye out for crazies. Oh, monster! That's pretty cool. Yes, it is, isn't it? Thank you for joining us on the show today, Ryan. We're really excited to talk to you about the Mortuary Collection. I'm excited to be here. This is great. I listen to this show obsessively, so it's surreal to be on it. Oh, that's very nice that's to so hear, That's so exciting man. to hear. What's your favorite episode? No. Uh... <laughs> I could actually probably answer that, but I'd have to think about it a little bit more. I, I will say this. Um, Poltergeist is my favorite movie. Right? Yes. And so uh, I loved the recent episode, but then there was that point where you guys were like, oh, we could keep talking about it for hours. And I was like, do it. Please do it. <laughs> I mean, I like House. It's, it's a good movie. But I love Poltergeist. Poltergeist is like a perfect film. It's my absolute favorite horror movie. Yeah. I'm, kind I'm of working just... on a project that's Poltergeist-like right now. So I've watched it like 17 times, including the, the remake. And so I have so many feelings about it. But the thing, uh, anyway, I don't want to get into the Poltergeist, but, but you guys sort of illuminated a couple of things I hadn't, I hadn't noticed, Ooh. even watching it several times. Yeah. I have one for you, actually. Let's hear it. Okay, so this is like, this is a theory, but you know how the sort of one of the thematic things of the movie is that the TV is kind of at the center of sort of the, maybe the breakdown of the American family to some degree. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. definitely like it opens with the TV, ends with the TV. And so it opens and you meet the whole family and they're all separate in these sort of set, like the dad's downstairs, passed out of the TV, mom's upstairs, passed out. Everyone's sort of in separate places. And at the very end of the movie, uh, they all go to a hotel room and they push the TV out. And throw the TV out. And so my thought is, and I don't know, I, I'd love to know the answer to this, but like, I wonder if they got a shot of the whole family t- sleeping together oh, in a yeah. hotel room bed to show that how they sort of started apart and sort of come together. That's I don't great. Know. No, that's so perfect. That sounds awesome. But I love the I, I love the light bulb thing. The light bulb thing was something I'd never. I was like. I love the scene where they're getting bit by mosquitoes. Yeah. So why is the scene in the movie? Yeah, like you, you would okay. think that that would just get thrown out, like somewhere in the editing. Yeah, they're just like, oh, this is this is unimportant. It's funny, it's great, but we don't need it. it. Yeah, and it's one of those. It's like one of those movies that it's so fun and kind of popcorn on the surface that it's easy to sort of disregard it as like sort of there being layers to it. But watching it again, again, seeing those layers is where I think it really. I don't know. I, I love movies like that that just work on the surface level but have layers. I think yeah. that's the coolest thing. And you could watch them a thousand times and then be like, I never yes. thought of this thing. Yes. Because that yes. scene, like, the Freelings are just so adorable. The first hundred times you watch it, you're just like, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> 
they're amazing. And I don't think these things, it's not like we're like looking for meaning where there wasn't meaning. Like clearly these are like intentional things that they just sort of, like you guys said, they didn't like slam them in our face, but they like buried them in. They just let it, left them there for us to find. Yeah, Very cool. it, it sounds like our what we should really be doing in life is striving to work on a poltergeist-themed project so we could watch it 17 times in a row. <laughs> that's, that's kind of all I want to do in life right now. Yeah, and yeah. The problem with that movie, too, is that like even after we recorded and we went out and we were walking our dog, I, I had more the stuff more that stuff. I wanted to say yeah. about it. But uh, I know, like in my heart, when you guys were skipping over chunks, I was like, no, but you didn't talk about, ah, uh, but you missed it. Uh. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's how you know you love I'm the like, movie. I've actually, it's interesting to me because I've actually gone out, like, like sort of searched uh, podcasts for everything Poltergeist based and listened to a bunch of different people talk about it. And like, sometimes it's like, not that interesting, or it's like stuff you've heard before, or like people always talk about the cursed film, which is like, I think I've heard a million times. So it's not interesting. Yeah. So like when you guys did it, I was like, yes. <laughs> and then when you guys stopped talking, I was like, no. <laughs> I mean, we we feel the same way, man. Like sometimes these recording sessions, like I wish they went on for an hour and a half, but I, my concern is that no one wants to listen to that. Yeah, we try to is, we try to cap the podcast at around an hour and an hour and a half. Is there? Do you think that there's a thing where people see the length of the podcast and they're like, no, too much? I don't know. I I always worried that they would because I myself probably wouldn't listen to a two hour movie podcast. That said, I've, I have talked to a bunch of people that listen to it in chunks, so like they appreciate that like we have two movies because mm. like oh I just treat it like drive into work, drive home from work. Yeah, kind of right. Hmm, interesting. But yeah, I, got I, I guess I kind of, I guess I kind of do segments. So I, every morning I do a walk and I listen and then I like stop it and then I just continue it. So I, I, if it went for like four hours, it would just be like a week's worth of walks or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely have plenty of podcasts that stretch. I mean, runs. I mean, I run up mountains. And yeah. <laughs> I, run, I go I for my four hour walk. I need four <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> It's surfing. I do like a surfing on the mountains. It's whatever. Don't worry about it. It's cool. That's funny though. You listen to your podcasts and segments, your movies and segments. I'm currently looking for a segue that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> we're there. We made it. I think you were. I think you were cusping on it, but then you you, you undersold it. <laughs> so you very clearly have a love of horror anthologies. Uh, what, I do. Are, what are what are what were some of the first anthologies you saw that you absolutely fell in love with? Uh, I mean. As cliche as it sounds, it, it was Creepshow. Creepshow was the was the movie for me. Uh, when I was a kid, I was I hated scary movies. I was a big wimp. Oh yeah. My mom really like freaked me out about scary movies. Like she kind of told me that if I watched scary movies, it was gonna like ruin my life. Oh, no. um, <laughs> not not in so many terms, but she like she doesn't really like scary movies, and so I think she kind of like pushed that onto me. So I so I hated horror and I like avoided it because I thought it was gonna like give me nightmares. Ruin things, and then I remember that Creep Show was one of those movies we had it on VHS, and uh, wait, it was wait, one wait, of those wait, movies. I'm that... sorry, I'm sorry. Your your mom doesn't want you to watch these movies, but you own it on VHS. <laughs> okay, uh, so I'm a product of divorce. I should oh, start okay. with that. I should right. probably start everything with that. My dad had it on VHS, and so when I was at my dad's house, uh, we would watch that movie. And it's weird because I watched it a hundred times, but every time it would start with this sort of Saturday morning style animation, it would like trick me into thinking, oh no, this is a kid's movie. This is for kids, right? <laughs> so it was sort of like, and then even when it like the animation stops, it still has this kind of, you know, it's got the, the skeleton at the window, like with the finger and everything about it has this like whimsy to it. And so it, it would sort of like suck me in. And then I would sort of be like, it would be like halfway through the movie before I realized, oh, I'm watching a horror movie. Like it, it tricked me in a way. And now I'm like, 
all the way into horror and I'm sort of, I'm here for the ride. And so I think there was this thing about that movie that was like, I mean, it was like a gateway movie for me, I guess. Sure, and yeah. it was sort of, it was like training wheels for horror. <laughs> and it was like the kind of the beginning of what sort of became my love for the genre. And I, I think I sort of credit the, my love for the genre for being how I process so many sort of real world horrors and, and, and scary things in real life for all of time. So I think that when I went to make this movie, actually, that was really present in my mind. I was like, I, don't, I didn't want to trick people. I don't want to like trick kids into watching something and then scare the shit out of them. But I did want to sort of tap into that sort of fun, fantastic quality and sort of make a movie that really embraced that thing, which I truly, truly love to this day, even as an adult, but then slowly evolves as the movie progresses. So it's like, you know, a lot of films will, will sort of evolve, like the characters evolve or the, the weather evolves or sort of the locations evolve. But I wanted to see if I could do like a tonal evolution. So I kind of started with this sort of haunted mansion style whimsy. And then as the movie progresses, it kind of becomes something else. And my hope is that it, it sort of helps people who don't usually like horror, kind of eases them in and sort of, while well, also it's kind of pleasing horror fans. So it's kind of like trying to, it's like trying to do too much with your first film, like anybody <laughs> does. It's like, let's just do everything I love all at once. But, uh, but I'm sort of proud of, of what we ended up with because I think like, I think some people will watch the movie and they'll say, Oh, this is a—is this a kids movie? Is it a—is it an adult movie? And I'm like, it's an everything movie. It's—it's it's for, it's for everyone. And and I hope that I think the people that want that sort of thing, I, I just want to find those people, I guess, and draw them in. Yeah. Hello. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, and like I think I honestly think like horror anthologies are the absolute way to go if you're trying to do that. Like I, I don't know what it is about anthologies. I've never they definitely exist but like it's very rare to find a horror anthology that is for like i don't know like not safe for life horror anthologies where like this is gonna ruin your day like they're usually very fun and they take you on that sort of saturday morning scares uh track right they were the 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 first horror anthologies like back in the 70s the amicus movies were much more serious but i mean they were british so i guess they they there's a more serious just miss to them uh and 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 that was sort of those were a big influence on me too because those were that was back in the time where where the anthology was considered like you know a single movie by a single creative team and not sort of like an aggregated thing that it's sort of become i don't hate the i mean i really actually love some of the aggregated films but i did miss that sort of one vision one idea how, how can like sort of one team kind of put together something interesting but you're right i mean i think the fun factor feels almost necessary because you have to sort of let people uh, people aren't used to this kind of format and you kind of got to like give them a wink and a hug and sort of pull them in and sort of kind of kind of create that campfire story vibe because otherwise if you were to try to do a two-hour movie that's like deadly serious I think it would just wear people down I think I don't know somebody will prove me wrong next year though so who knows yeah, and I mean, like, um, goes without saying that it's got, like, a real strong Halloween vibe all throughout. So, like, I'm really excited for people to check this movie out uh, at Halloween. Were you, you you a big Halloween kid growing up? No, I hate the holiday. It's my least favorite. Uh, I love it, yes. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. It's absolutely my favorite holiday. I grew up in Maine in a small, tiny town on the coast, just uh, kind of close to Nova Scotia. And so it's like, it's like a Halloween town. It's like a... a paint blistered fishing village i guess even even the town in in the mortuary collection is probably like a heightened version of where i grew up uh and i remember it just being such an incredible time of year and there was like haunted houses but there were like 
real like rural creepy haunted houses where like maybe somebody would murder you type of thing. <laughs> go on kids <laughs> I, I remember like every year at halloween my biggest fear was that my friends were gonna like decide as a group that we were going to a haunted house that was like my biggest fear wow i was like oh i can't say no to a haunted house if they all ask me <laughs> Like we're talking like a real haunted house, right? Or just or just like the like the scare a thon style haunted house. I think any haunted house, really. I think <laughs> the, the whole spectrum. It sounds bad. <laughs> this this is maybe a really odd question, but like, do you have a favorite childhood costume from Halloween that you dressed up as one year? I do. It's but it's the weirdest costume. So my mom, my mom's like very. She's a nurse, but she's very artistically gifted, and so she would make my costumes every year. And she would like really crush it. And one year I found this like really scary wolf mask. And I was like, I want to be like a wolf, but like a grim reaper wolf. What? So she like made me this like really elaborate cloak that had like all these like layers to it. And it was all dark and scary. And then I had a wolf mask and wolf hands and like a sickle. And then there's like a, this, this picture of my, my class. I was probably eight. There's like a picture of my class. And it's just like, Normal fun Halloween costumes, and then one real creepy giant kid just, like, standing <laughs> on the <ground>. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. There's no way that your teachers don't look back at that photo like, oh, apparently that kid's got a movie, a horror movie coming out this year. No surprise. <laughs> Makes sense. Correct. <laughs> uh, was the goal always to make a horror anthology, or did you just have too many ideas uh, to contain? No, I think it, it, it's interesting. I have this problem where it's like when somebody says don't do something, I'm like, well, that's the thing I'm going to do because that's the thing that's going to be interesting. And so I was sort of, I've been working in LA for, I don't know, three or four years. And I was sort of doing a rewrite of a script and I was re- not very excited about it. And the notes I was getting was really crushing me. And I was like, I, I need to do something to sort of reinvigorate my passion for what I'm doing because I'm kind of hating this. And so I remember sitting in this coffee shop and thinking, I'm going to write the movie that no one's going to make. Like, what's the movie no one's going to make? And I've been watching a ton of anthology movies at the time, and it was it's always been something really close to my heart. And so I was like, I'm going to do a horror anthology. It's just going to be a way for me to excise all these stories and these ideas, get them on page, throw it away, and then sort of move on with my career. And I wrote the script, and the script started sort of getting some people's attention. But every meeting I took, they were like, anthologies are just a no-go. And this maintains to this day. People wow. just hate anthologies. People who finance, people who market, they hate horror anthologies. My my whole thing this whole time was like, it's a different kind of movie. So it needs a different kind of approach. We're going to figure this out and it's going to be awesome. And we're going to knock people's socks off. And it just never happened. It like, as soon as the movie sort of starts to go through the normal channels, it starts to get pushed into a box and you're kind of trapped at that point in time. And so I remember, you know, sitting there writing this movie, nobody wanted to make it. And I was like, well, I think now that it's a, a bunch of shorts, I can make one of these. And so I kind of got together with a couple of friends and we did a Kickstarter and we made uh, The Babysitter Murders, which is the fourth story in the movie. And that movie did well and we did festivals and we sort of, you know, won some awards and I took a bunch of meetings and everybody loved the movie and they're like, well, what do you want to do? Anything. And I was like, this movie, an anthology movie. <laughs> this is one like, fifth Anything of it. but that. Yeah, <laughs> oh. exactly. Exactly. Anything but that. Well, that's what I thought. I was like, hey, look, I can give you one piece right now. It's ready to go. Yeah. And so no, nobody, it just was sort of a dead project. And I, I remember sitting down with my producing partner, Justin Ross, and we were like having this meeting. We we're like, we're going to have to put it to bed. It's been a year. It's not going to happen. And that very weekend, that day, I think, which is surreal, one of the people who I'd met on this Hollywood tour, 
who worked at a bigger company uh, was like, hey, I would love to produce this independently. And I think I found some money. Would you be interested? And so I was like, yeah, let's do this. Yes. And so it like came back to life. And immediately she sort of came into our team and it was the three of us, her name's Allison Friedman. And we started meeting with line producers about making this movie. And uh, every single person was like, we don't even want to do this. You need four times as much money to pull this movie off. Like it's, it's not going to happen. And so we were sort of back to the scary zone where we had like a little bit of money, but like nobody wanted to make the movie. Like even the line producers who are people you pay to wow. make a movie for you, to like help you make a movie are like, nah, no thanks. And so we kind of sat down, we had this meeting and we were like, I think if we don't do something, we're going to lose this money. We know how to make shorts. We've made a bunch of shorts before. Let's just start making it. And so we basically started making the mortuary collection as it turns out. And we made two segments back to back in LA. And then we regrouped and we re-edited and we really sort of honed in and focused. And then we went to Astoria, Oregon and we made another piece. And then we came back and we refocused. And after two years, we kind of piece by piece made this movie and kind of, you know, brought it back to the editor. Here's a new piece, brought it back to the editor. And it kind of just grew and grew and grew. And it even got down to the point where it's just me and my producer, Justin. I had my camera, he had a fog machine and we had some local extras we just picked up and we were shooting shots, just the three of us in the woods. Wow. Wow. Because like we were we were out of money and out, out of everything, but we were like, but this can be better. This can be better. And uh, and so at the end of it, it really kind of became this sort of very much a handmade piece by piece sort of bootstraps movie, more so than I ever expected. And 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 honestly, if I would had to do it again, I don't think I would, if I knew where I was going to end up. I don't know if I would be able to like take it on. So I'm glad I was naive at the beginning. <laughs> You're um, like, it's just five it's, shorts. It's fine. Yeah, no big deal. Everybody's <laughs> going to want to see this. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to make five movies instead of one. It's going to be easy. <laughs> that's, that's so crazy because, I mean, the like the aesthetic of the movie, it does not look cheap whatsoever. And like everything is so perfectly balanced across from one story to the next. Yeah, like like it's so like cohesive. It's crazy to hear that you did it in like actual segments. Yeah, thank you. That's a huge, a huge uh, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, it is crazy. (laughs) I don't even know. I don't even know how we did. I mean, there, there is something to, I mean, I think, in a traditional movie, when you're sort of given 13 days and you just have to go, 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 there is something to like, you lose a lot of the sort of little bits of magic along the way because you're just forced to execute. So there was an advantage to having this time to shoot something and sit back and be like, you know, we could use a butcher knife hitting the floor, just dunk. And so we could get four tiles from Home Depot and my camera and just shoot that and it was free. And so that's like a a blessing and a curse. Cause once you do that once you're like, that's awesome. And they're like, we could do this for everything. <laughs> and that's how I think you, you end up getting like, cause inserts are the craziest things. They're like, they're the simply they seem like the simplest things, but they're the first thing to go in every production. And it's, it's wild, especially in a genre movie, how much an insert of a butcher knife, an insert of a, someone grabbing a frying pan, those inserts add so much to the movie when you're supposed to feel it in, in, in this genre more than any other. And I think that's the kind of thing that, often gets lost and that's the kind of thing we could just keep doing i mean we actually before we we went to astoria oregon where we shot a big chunk of the movie to do a premiere and the day of the premiere me and my producer and my girlfriend went out in the woods and shot a couple other shots for the movie and reworked the entire (laughs) beginning of it wow (laughs) like we we screened it at astoria and it was awesome but then we knew that like 
in my car was footage that I was going to go back and put into the movie. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, I guess it's the good, fast, cheap triangle where you, where you, you don't have the money and you don't have the sort of, uh, I guess you have the time. I guess you have the time to sort of do it right. But then again, on the flip side, it's an emotional nightmare and it's impossible to sort of maintain relationships or a lifestyle or anything. You kind of have to sacrifice everything to do it. But I guess it feels worth it. Like, like all of a sudden, we beat ourselves up for years. In in a year or two where you can't see any of your friends, what does it matter? (laughs) That's true. That's true. This could not have come at a better time. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I can rebuild from scratch. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so I mean, like the like we we've seen this movie a few times now uh, because Shoot. like <laughs> we've seen this a few times now because we take every opportunity we can. Like any festival we're going to where it's playing, we'll rewatch it every time. And like the biggest thing that we were sort of gushing over this time was uh, all of the set decoration. Like especially knowing now like how limited your budget was, like how much of that went to creating these like incredibly ornate rooms that say so much about every single one of your characters. It's it, well, it's kind of an interesting situation because we sort of backed ourselves into a corner again, where we had all of this ambition, and I had an awesome, an, an amazing art team: uh, Lord Fitzsimmons, uh, Harrison Chambers, uh, Carly, like all of these amazing. I mean, I'm gonna, I can't even remember everyone's names because they were such an amazing group of people. But um, we started building this thing, and I had all these big ideas. My background is art and design too, so early on when we were budgeting, I was just taking every bit of. When you work on the art team. For anyone who has never worked on art team, the art team always gets screwed. Oh, they, no. they all, the budget always gets taken from art. It goes to the camera. It goes to the locations. It goes to everywhere else. And the art team is always like, and then here's 500 bucks. You you can build a cemetery, right? And so I kind of hit this from the top from the other angle. And I just, every budget meeting we had, I just took as much money as possible. It's like, trailers, the actors don't need trailers. Put it to art. <laughs> Craft service, no one needs to eat. Put it to art. I mean, not... Not to that extreme, but 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 really, I, I did. I was like, I I want to I want this to be something really special. So I sort of put all the money into that, and then we started building this thing, and it started like these sets were beautiful, and we were getting really excited, and we were like, oh shit! Well, now we can't like do a half-ass set because we've already committed ourselves to sort of creating this world, and everything has to sort of maintain. And so then it was just this like me putting my art team into this ridiculous position where it's like. <laughs> Now we have to create a Tim Burton-esque world, but we almost have no money left. Um, but it was amazing. And they the crazy things that it's like, it's like with any movie, the crazy sort of things that end up happening as the movie's chugging along, just when you think, just when everything's going wrong and everything's collapsing, like sort of a gem comes through. I remember we were in Astoria and we needed to build a library and we were building the library and we were like, we can't afford books. Like just even fake books wow. have so much money. And then somebody was like, Oh, there's a movie called, or there's a show called The Librarians that shoots in Portland, and they just they just sort of ended their run. You could come here and look and see if we have some books. I'm like, I'm hoping you have books. It's called The Librarians, <laughs> and so we basically took all of their books and we like populated our library with books from the librarians for next to nothing. And and that kind of thing, like that's like when you're just like down in the trenches and you feel like you couldn't be beat any lower, and then something comes that sort of rejuvenates you, and you're like back on set again, and you're excited. And then you just hurt yourself again, 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 and again. <laughs> <laughs> but like all of those sets, uh, there's so much attention to detail across the board. Like, and and even in your shorts too. Like, they your shorts that we were watching before we sat down look like they are just like on the cutting room floor of other segments from Mortuary Collection. 
<laughs> but like i was i was curious like just given like the eye the eye for detail that you have in in these segments like is there any like teeny detail that you love that people don't see the first time around like for for us it was in your second story um about the the college campus kids and there's mm-hmm. specifically there's an ancient book someone's looking into but it also has like a pregnancy test in it <laughs> we laughed so hard <laughs> Um, there's like a million of those things. Actually, interestingly, so I made a movie a long time ago, I guess, called The Root of the Problem. And uh, in the movie, uh, the character has these uh, tablets called uh, Piku Finkelman's Calming Tablets. And I thought it was such a hilarious name. My friend Josh Michael created this this like brand. And so that brand is the brand in every single thing I've made ever since. Actually, this hat. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Yes! It's actually a P.Q. Finkelman's <laughs> hat. Wow. So it's, uh, it's like your red apple cigarettes, right? It's my red apple cigarette. It's my acne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like with like dumb things too, like every number, every license plate, every address in, in the whole movie, uh, the, the numbers add up to 13. Cool. Like, <laughs> like, like just dumb stuff. But it's like kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's sort of rewatch value. Movies where like the filmmaker sort of puts everything into every single detail it feels like a huge waste of time, maybe off the top. But if you could make a movie that people are going to watch again and again, you can sort of glean more and more information. I think that's that's the most rewarding experience. So it, it was sort of a gift to be able to do that with this. And and there's a lot. There's a lot in there. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see people uh, like rewatch it all the time because I, I know for us, it feels weird to say this like to you. Like we've said, <laughs> we've, we've said this to ourselves a lot, but like there's there's no way we're not watching this every single Halloween season for like the rest of eternity. <laughs> No, you can say it to me. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> say it again. <laughs> say it again. Yeah. Say it like you mean it. <laughs> well, you're sitting down with the right people because my interview style is just like compliment you until you're embarrassed <laughs> and, then, and then ask a question. That's that's what I've learned about myself. But that's I, actually an amazing, that's an amazing tactic though. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess if it was fake, that'd be real tactful. But for me, it's just, I don't know. I just, I like movies and I really love your movie. Like it's. Uh, Thank you. Uh, like, I I don't I don't see any drive-in theater that isn't already considering pairing it with Trick or Treat if they're if they if they've seen it. You know what I mean? Oh man, a thousand percent! Great double feature. That would be amazing. I mean, because you're getting so many movies at once with that. Two anthologies is a double feature. That's awesome. And like you were saying too about the anthology that kind of has the singular vision. That's the only other like modern anthology I can think of that has one solid aesthetic throughout. It's true. It's true. When I was doing the the um, Kickstarter for the first short, I made a uh, a short sort of documentary about horror anthologies called We Come in Pieces. And one of the people that I interviewed on that was Michael Doherty. And he he was awesome. I mean, I loved the movie. I loved interviewing him. And I could tell that like the act of making an anthology had like really burnt him. Like it was wow. just not, it was not like he loved the movie, but he, like the way it was handled was not, he was not very keen on or at least that was my takeaway yeah well it had a really Uh, tough release it had a tough release yeah Yeah. and i just watched him talk about it and i was like but mine's gonna be different (laughs) 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 oh man aren't artists great (laughs) isn't that artist's brain just perfect (laughs) (laughs) now now if i could go back i would just give him a long hug and sort of rethink my life choices (laughs) i mean this is definitely why we don't have trick-or-treat too yet right it's true. I was just looking on Letterbox today, and I it was like I was looking at my watch list, and it's like I, I have Trick or Treat on two on there, and I was like, oh, this is just like 
rubbing salt in the wound. Is this going to happen? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think when you have a single director or just like one specific vision that's across the entire film, like you really do get that perfect balance uh, that that you you know you're trying to you were you set out to accomplish. Um, because like, uh, Kim told me not to say this, but, um, <laughs> but like, it's, it's kind of like Saturday, it's like a Saturday morning cartoon for the midnight madness crowd. Cause oh, they, yeah. cause it, it's totally cartoonish and then it's like super gross out. So like, I, I, I can't imagine how hard it was to, to handle all of that, even just a single segment, but like across the whole movie. No, I, I, I think that's a huge compliment. I like, I love Saturday morning cartoon for the horror crowd. That's amazing. <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 the big surprising thing about making the movie that we hadn't anticipated, and, and I felt it the whole way through, but I didn't really feel it until I was in post uh, on the whole thing, was that I think if you're doing a, like a traditional feature film, you know, like feature films have sort of these like key beats that you have to really sort of knock out of the park, right? Like introduction of the characters, the turning points, the climax. And if you can really knock those out of the park, Everything else in between it kind of becomes vague in the audience's mind, mm. and, and it's a successful movie. They, they can watch it and be like, that was pretty good. But if you, when you're doing an anthology movie, we realize, oh, we got to hit all of those beats five times. And, and, and we can't really slack on any of them, because if we do, the whole thing kind of crumbles in on itself like a house of cards. And so... In the editing room, it was like, oh, man, we've really kind of set ourselves up for failure by just making so many components that have to all work within one movie. And, and the, you know, it's like a traditional feature. You have 20, 30 minutes to, like, meet the characters and set up the world. And in this movie, you have three. You have, like, three minutes to sort of set up the world, set up the character, set up the situation, and then go. And so when it, it came to editing, and the movie's two hours long right now, and everybody was like, you got to cut it. You got to cut it. No one wants to watch a two-hour movie. We were like, but if we cut a scene, we lose like 17 things that are important to the to the thing. It wasn't like a precious thing. It was more like, well, this establishes who he is, what he wants, who his rival, like everything was so like condensed down. And that was sort of a, I mean, that was our fault, I think for sort of backing ourselves into that corner. Um, but it was like, it was a really interesting experience as sort of a filmmaker to try to balance five different storylines at once. And, and we even shot it kind of broken up too, where I was like in one movie and then another movie and then sort of throughout. Wow. And so I remember like talking to my my producing partner, I was just like, oh man, if I could make a movie with just one storyline, that would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been running with weights on for like two years. Yeah, and you also have an incredible amount of practical effects, like especially also practical gore. But um, like, I gotta practical assume goo. practical goo, goo, <laughs> vomit. I gotta assume that that's important to you. It's all about the vomit. There's a lot of vomit <laughs> in this movie. I didn't realize how much vomit was in the movie until I watched it again. It's like again, it's like finding out your weird your weird kinks. I guess I guess vomit's one of my things. I mean, arg- arguably, some of it's soup. It's not really vomit, right? True. Okay. All right. Well, that's helping me out. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, again, it's like if you're going to make a movie in the, in the vein of Creep Show, if you're going to try to sort of stand up against the greats, I think it's all about practical effects. And I'm, I'm I actually like my background studio arts, and I worked for an effects company for a while, and so that's sort of always been a big draw for me. And then when I was making this movie, I was like, well, everything's got to be practical. It's got to be pra- and every single segment has to have like one, at least one key practical effect that's like, wow. And so um, luckily we teamed up with this company called Studio ADI. You guys know, have you heard of them before? No. So Studio ADI is like a, 
this amazing company that was started by Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis um, back in the eighties. And they are the guys responsible for uh, tremors and okay. Starship troopers and they did Death Becomes Her. They went in the Academy Award. Oh, Death oh shit! <laughs> That's like my favorite yes. movie ever. Yes, <laughs> so yes. good. <laughs> so good. It's so good. And I basically like. I feel like I'm a professional, impassioned letter writer. That's that's like the biggest <laughs> part of the job. And I remember we needed this, these effects, and we were sort of talking to some people. We we're talking to some really great people, like up and coming artists. And it was seeming impossible to pull it off. And I was like, I'm just going to write a letter to the, my three favorite special effects companies and see what happens. What do we got to lose? And I wrote it to all three and two of them responded and one of them couldn't do it because they were too busy, but they gave me all this amazing advice. And the third one was Studio ADI. And they were like, we love this script. We love this short, come in and meet with us. And so I went and I met with them in this like fancy business room. And it was all these, everyone was sitting around these leather chairs and we're talking about exploding dicks. This is what adults do, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 they were like, "How much money do you have?" And we told them, and they were like, "That's not enough." And I was like, "I know." And they're like, "Let's do it." And so they were yes. just in the trenches with us. And I mean, Alec, he's such a like legend. It's rare for him to even be on set. He's like almost the face of the of the company now. And he was on set with us, moving tentacles, wow. sort of like. <laughs> Like just throwing slime, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like this is a surreal experience. Like this guy created some of the most amazing sort of creatures of my entire life, and now he's like on our crappy set, like moving tentacles around. Great. Really wish we had a budget of craft services now. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your bologna sandwich, sir. <laughs> oh my god! My producers are gonna like kill me for talking about the craft service. <laughs> That had to add, like, well, I was going to say, well, knowing now who you had, like, working on set for the practical effects, that probably made some things a little easier. But I was going to say, like, going all practical on something with no budget had to make everything even more stressful, right? Because it's you got one shot, and if it doesn't work, like, oh, great, we're out of money. It's true. It, I mean, that, yeah. That, and that is, and that's the thing that these guys talk about, too. Like, there was, they're, they're you know, talking about, there was a heyday for practical effects where, you know, companies would give these practical effects all pre-visual effects when everyone couldn't lean into it. They'd give them all this money and they'd get to test it and they'd get to show up and they'd sort of do these runs. And now all they get to do is sort of execute, execute, execute and hope it works. But luckily, yeah, luckily we had sort of the best guys in town. And uh, yeah, and it was amazing. And, and, and we didn't have any problems. Like everything worked out great. And you know, you, you sort of work on the fly when something's like funny from an angle, you like move the camera. The only places there are visual effects in this movie are places where like we had a major catastrophe mm. and like we had to do it because my my whole plan from the start was sort of let's do all practical effects let's like not do visual effects for like flourishes but like practical effects hundred um, percent and and luckily we had these amazing partners and I even just talking to you guys about it now it's like it's making <laughs> me feel all warm inside that sort of they worked with me. <laughs> do you have a favorite gross out gag? Or well, not gross out, but like, do you have a favorite gag? Wait, no, two questions. Favorite gross out and then favorite uh -huh. like, creature design, like little character design. Uh, I mean, my favorite character design has to be the Carol, the Carol ghost and till oh, death. Oh, yes. The third segment. She gave she me total so uh, Crimson Peak vibes. Hell yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, well, thank them. They made it. It's, it was amazing. I remember I was on set and I they were putting her makeup because that was the extensive makeup for V, our, our performer. And I remember 
I came out to craft service and she was like sitting there like eating like through <laughs> just like this weird little mouth. It genuinely like was upsetting to me. I was like, oh, she's eating, huh? And they were like, food? And I was like, nah. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. And they're like, take your picture with her. And I was like. <laughs> just staying as far away doing as hover hand. <laughs> I was doing hover hand. I was doing hover hand. <laughs> Um, oh, but wow. yeah, that was that was uh, like every time, even when she would be off to the side instead of just sitting there, it was so unsettling. I, I loved it so much. That was such a cool makeup. Gore. Oh, oh, and then okay, so uh, uh, gross out. There was a scene from the movie that we cut where, because um, you know how he's feeding her soup mm-hmm. like this yellow gush. So there was a scene in the movie where she, the monster, vomits an explosion of yellow goo like right in uh, Barrett Hardley's face, the actor. Um, and we had to cut it for story reasons, but it's still my favorite gag. Oh, didn't it? And also just because I get to torture him. <laughs> <laughs> he really gets it in this movie. He really does. does. Didn't that wind up as a promo image? Like, especially, like, I think it was going around at Fantastic. I think it's in our review. Oh, really? Yeah, and even I was looking at it, I was like, I don't know if that's in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did, it did, it did. There was a whole different ending to the movie that, like, oh, wow. sort of changed. Yeah. Is that yeah. maybe a uh, future DVD extra? Guys, we have so many behind the scenes videos of this thing. It's insane. We a friend of mine was shooting behind the scenes for the whole two year process. Wow. And he's editing literally in my basement right now. He, I think right now we have something ridiculous, like four hours of edited footage for every single aspect. It's crazy. It's like it's like it's like literally like here's the sound of what the sound designer is doing in this movie every day. Here's the guy who builds the sets. It's wild. It's wow. like Lord of the Rings level behind the scenes stuff. That like this movie does not deserve, but like somehow we're going to have. Have you told Shutter about this? Is this anything that they're releasing? Uh, I hope so. That's we talked to them about it. I, I just told them about it today, and I sent them a couple of clips, and they were like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "It's behind the scenes. Maybe put it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it. So we'll see. I don't know." I mean, like Shutter is definitely one of those streaming services that has actually started to do that. Like, yeah, we, like they did that with the uh, Rob Zombie's Thirty One, yeah, right? or even Mandy's on there. Did it's they? got a whole bunch of behind the scenes. Yeah, they stuff. put yeah. extra like content on there. I mean, I love Shutter already. That would up them even more just to have some sort of place to see that kind of thing. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so uh, like obviously Shutter is putting out the Mortuary Collection. Um, how did you get uh, involved with them? When did they first see the movie? They saw the movie at Fantastic Fest. We were right premiered. On. Yeah, they scooped it up right away, which was super awesome. And they uh, they were like, we love the movie. We want to put it out now, but we got to hold it for October. Can you wait? And I was like, yeah, I can wait. We're going to do festivals. It's going to be great. We got like 30 festivals lined up. And then they all went away. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I well, mean, not like, all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it happens. I mean, you still played a few of them. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's so funny that Shudder grabbed it right away because, like, we've met Sam Zimmerman before at Shudder, and he He's seems the like, best. The, right? He just seems like oh. the biggest kid that would just absolutely fucking love this movie. He is the best. Like, and he's, he's, he sort of is like behind all of their the cultivating of what they put on the thing. And it's like, you couldn't ask for a better person to be doing it. He's like such a horror kid, but he loves the like deep dives. And he loves the weird stuff. And he like, he kind of like makes Shudder what I think I need sort of, which is like, it gives me the stuff I love, but it also like pushes me into some other regions, yeah. which I which I really want to do. Yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's like the Criterion channel for horror. It is. Like secretly. Like it, it, it doesn't want you to know that yeah, it's got like, a bunch of like secretly highbrow. Secretly, secretly highbrow. highbrow. 
And I think, honestly, I think because I think that, that they've been doing really well during the pandemic because people are in and they're watching and I think more people are subscribing. I think subscribers are kind of slow to coming to the channel, but now they're doing awesome stuff. They're really, they're real. I think Shutter's going to explode with content and cool stuff like real soon, which is real exciting. Does that mean that you're working on a new movie with Shutter? Is that what you're saying? What was that? <laughs> I can't say. I can't say. Or I can't decline. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. So, um, you had mentioned that the your the final segment in the movie, the babysitter murders. There's there's mm-hmm. a short within the short, and I had always like when I saw on your IMDb page 2015 babysitter murders, I'd always assumed it was the movie that they're watching inside that story. I wrote the full movie, and then I picked out the movie that was the most producible because it was kind of the most contained to sort of show people what the movie would be. But The Babysitter Murders is the title of the movie that they're watching inside the movie. And actually, at one point in time, I just realized that there's, it's a movie inside of a movie, inside of a movie, inside of a movie. Because you open the book. Sure, movie. At the beginning. So you're going into a movie. So that's our movie and, and movie. Then in, <laughs> and then in that movie. He's telling a story. The, Telling a story, so you're in another movie, and then inside that movie, she's watching a movie, so you're inside a fourth movie. <laughs> I mean, I if, <laughs> if if you want me to say that I like it more than Inception, I can honestly say I like it more than Inception. <laughs> you're making me second guess it now. I'm like, is it? <laughs> Oh man! Well, honestly, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Like we, we absolutely love the Mortuary Collection, and I can't wait for people to check it out. Before, thank you guys. This has been so fun. Yeah, like we, we have been talking about this interview since like this time last year. I think we're like it's happening. Just, yeah. he just doesn't know it yet. It's, which is very true. Like it's been on our whiteboard. Like yeah, October fifteenth, we'll talk to Ryan. It's no big deal. Like it just had not reached out to you. Had not said it was happening. We just uh, we were gonna make it happen. I think my biggest regret about doing this interview is that I love listening to the show, but I cannot listen to my own interview. So now I'm going to have to just see an episode pop up that I can't listen to. Uh, that's funny. So, more Poltergeist talk, though. I could use more Poltergeist talk. Poltergeist 2.0. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I think we mentioned at the top of the, the Poltergeist episode, but we tried doing a Poltergeist commentary track once. Oh, it was, it was terrible. It was just a disaster. It was just fangirling for two hours. <laughs> yeah, and we were so nervous about it. Like, oh, we we can't we can't fuck up. There's no there's no editing. It's just nonstop. We got to just watch the movie and talk. So we we had a few drinks, and it was the wrong decision. And it was just <laughs> it's just a lot of like, oh, what a good scene. Oh, what a good scene. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen to that. No. <laughs> I really do want to listen to that. I feel like you guys should give it another go now that you've sort of worked out the kinks. That's probably not a bad idea. I mean, I'll listen. Before we let you go, though, we like we like to ask everybody if you could program one night at the drive-in, what would your dream double feature be? Okay, so this question st- really stressed me out. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> at first, at first, I when you when you like emailed me earlier, I was like, okay, I uh, I know what this is, and then I like started really thinking. And I was like, oh well, who's there? Or like, what mood am I in? <laughs> um, and <laughs> these are important I, questions. <laughs> they are important questions. They really make you sort of reflect. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go um, I do a double well, double feature, obviously, but I would do, I would start with Poltergeist. Right on. I know that seems lame. I'm not, look, I'm not pandering. It's just, I love that <laughs> movie. And then keeping in the spooky theme, I would follow it up with The Frighteners. Oh, yes! yeah, man. I would pay good money to see The Frighteners at a drive-in. 
Hell yeah. Me too. I've never I've never seen that on the big screen actually. No, I uh, I, I don't think we, we haven't seen Poltergeist on the big screen either. Fuck, now no. I'm just sad. No, <laughs> no me either. Me Damn. either. There was like there was like a secondary version where I was like I would love to see the Frighteners or Brain Dead and then the Frighteners back to back just cuz I'd like to see like the evolution of like the old school Peter Jackson at his peak and then the like middle school. Yeah, like it's like heavy middle CGI school? Peter Jackson versus heavy Practical, blood and gore yeah. Peter Jackson. Yes. Yes. I think like the film nerd in me wants to see that double feature and just like absorb it as a two part one whole. If you haven't seen any of the behind the scenes footage for the Frighteners, you really got to seek it out because there's there's a lot of stuff that just never made it into the movie. But there's scenes of Peter Jackson just walking around with like a cardboard dog like, all right, and then you animate it like this (laughs) and then cut. It's it's pretty great. John, I have seen everything. (laughs) What I'm waiting for is the the Blu-ray of dead alive brain dead that's supposedly peter jackson was shooting behind the scenes the entire time he's got like hours of behind the scenes and they're going to release like a special edition soon and wow. i just i'm like on the edge of my seat for that just waiting for like the lord of the rings franchise to die so he can do it i guess <laughs> come back to Get the out goo. Of come back to the goo. Come back to that goo. <laughs> the amount of time i spent thinking about that is so sad <laughs> Thank you again for taking the time to talk to us, man. It was it was an absolute pleasure. Where can people find the Mortuary Collection? So the Mortuary Collection is going to be on Shutter on October 15th. Uh, and the special features, October 16th. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there now. <laughs> Getting it out there. <laughs> it appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website at nofspodcast.com. And while you're at it, check out all of the other spine-tingling shows on the bloody disgusting podcast network. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.